performance marketing podcast is kindly sponsored by Nix and Kicks, the low calorie, no added sugar, vegan friendly drink with a zing. At Target, we always have a fully stocked fridge of Nix and Kicks as a healthy and tasty refreshment for the team. Try it yourself today in a co op or waitrose near you, or you can buy it online at nixandkicks.com. Okay, Shah, thanks for joining us on the Performance Marketing Podcast. So, for those of you that don't know, Charlotte Gigan is the current head of marketing at Senior Marketing, Senior Manager. marketing Manager at Refi. Yes. Um, you have quite an um, illustrious career behind you. You obviously <laughs> worked at um, Pretty Little Thing mm-hmm. back when Pretty Little Thing were not the household brand that we know today, um, just a team of 20 in, in a room. Mm-hmm. And you were part of that team that helped take them from sort of one million pound week, uh, sorry, one million pound months to one million pound weeks. Um, so it was actually less than that, you know. Like really? when I started, we were doing like 10k weeks. I'll probably get someone's going to come after me. In yeah, the someone's going to correct you if there's a wrong. Literally, but no. But um, it was like when I left, I think we were doing like million pound, like months and weeks and stuff like that. It was crazy. I was there for like a year and a half. The growth was insane. Because the brand now, I, I remember doing my research before, but it's now turning over. I think in 2020, it was something like 516 million. It was yeah. crazy. So you were part of the team that helped them get off the ground to, yeah. the, to the industry heavyweight that we know today. Yeah, I think like for me, it was kind of like I actually started there as an intern after I finished my master's in marketing, like really random. One of those where like I saw it on Instagram. So I thought I'm going to apply. I like sat down for an interview with Umma to yeah. be like an intern, which I don't think like I don't yeah. even know if half the team have even met him yeah. like these days. And for me, it was like an actual crash course in marketing. It's like yeah. when you learn to drive, like you do the lessons and yeah. then you actually learn to drive. Yeah, that yeah, was like yeah. very much the same thing. So being part of the team and seeing like what we did there and then also like who they brought in at what time to do what role like was just invaluable, I think now as an actual manager. I think back in the day, I don't think I appreciated how much I actually learned being Mm. there. Like it really was like marketing 101. Like I just did anything, everything this we mean at the deep end. And then as we grew, it was like more people came into the business that kind of had backgrounds in PPC or paid social and like, all these different things like SEO and bringing that into the mix along with the brand. So I really saw like the brand bit like be kind of foundation and then they added all these things into the mix and finally saw how it all worked together in a really like amazing way. So it's yeah, incredible. it's crazy. It's incredible. I think like you touched on there. So I, I also studied obviously advertising marketing at university. And I think, as you say, you learn all this theory and all these great things in practice at university. Mm-hmm. But it's not until you're in the trenches at yeah. a brand like that, of that scale, mm-hmm. you learn actually these are all these invaluable skills and how it actually works and how to drive growth. Yeah. Particularly in e-com. Yeah, it was like, it was a very hectic place to work. And I think it still <laughs> is from what I hear. But I think like looking back on it now, like it definitely it helped shape me as a marketer, especially the people that like came in as management there. Like, I think she's marketing director now, but like Nikki Capstick was just, mm. she's amazing at what she does. And you can yeah. tell and like a couple of other people that are still there, like Leone and everyone and they've got amy simon who's head of pr and got, i think it's global pr now and just wow. watching what she did to the brand as well i wasn't there at the time but like obviously i've still got a lot of friends that work there so it's cool. just crazy it's just crazy to see it continue to grow to what it is like it's absolutely Brilliant. mad i can't believe it's as big as it is considering when i first started like i literally could see the warehouse from my desk and like yeah, pick yeah. and pack orders myself <laughs> but yeah no credit to them all because it's insane what a journey, what a journey. I mean, just to, just to add some meat to the bones on the rest of your career mm-hmm. then. So obviously, you know, you're at Refi now, which is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're driving growth there. And what is, you know, I'm sure if you're a female that's into fashion and beauty, you definitely would have heard of Refi, <laughs> that's for sure. And definitely it's a pretty little thing. But you've had um, some really... Um, 
colourful, you've had some quite colourful experiences in marketing, yeah. I suppose, haven't you? So could you talk us a little bit through your career start to finish and yeah. any particular highlights for you? Yeah, definitely. So uh, obviously I started at PLT as an intern and worked my way up to assistant. And then like, I think I was saying before we started recording, I'm a bit greedy. So like I wanted to stay as a generalist. So I kind of went where the opportunity was. So I went to Public Desire, which is a footwear brand up here. And then after that, In The Style, um, both crazy. One of the highlights I'd say actually was before she was like massive, massive at Public Desire, we did a collaboration with Hayley Bieber when she was Hayley Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like oh. she designed like a line of shoes and then we rolled that out as we were like launching into the US. So that was a big highlight. Um, and then just everything I've done was absolutely wild. And then I actually kind of took not a career break, but I was like, I'm going to go freelance. I'm going to see the world. So I traveled, traveled through Latin America, freelancing for hostels. I did a coffee thinker, wow. like worked on an app um, and then stopped in Australia for a spell and worked at an e-com brand called Meshki okay. out there, um, which I think was really good because one thing that I've always experienced in my career is like people trying to crack Australia. So to be yeah. in the market firsthand and yeah. actually see how different it is from what everyone thinks mm. was a bit crazy. Um, and then, yeah, came back to the UK where I freelanced for a bit more and then ended up at a vegan chocolate brand called Love Raw, where I was for about a year and a half before I came to Refi. But yeah, just been all over the show, really. That's great. It's all invaluable experience, isn't mm -hmm. it? Because there's so many so many different um, learnings you can take from various industries. Because, yeah. you know, as we, I think we were saying before, e-com throughout the pandemic flew and then you know other industries didn't do so well but you've got that broad spectrum of knowledge that you yeah. can draw on so but there are a couple of parallels there i picked up on where um you you said i think there's quite a few e-commerce direct consumer brands that you've worked with you know love raw mm -hmm. pretty little thing yeah and now refi mm -hmm. um what do you think is that draws you to e-commerce and direct consumer or is there nothing in particular do you find it's more like the fashion industry you're interested in what's your no i love like e-commerce i yeah. love like fast-paced e-commerce i used to really love fashion um, but like, I think this sounds crazy, but as I get older, like the fast fashion and the impact that that actually has on like the environment is something I've become very aware of yes. as an adult. And like, that's what another reason I quite like working at Refine, why I liked working at Love Raw as well, because there was the sustainability angle, like one's obviously vegan. We try and make sure that everything's like 100% recyclable. Everything's vegan that we do at Refine to make sure that the impact is as minimal as possible. Like one of our co-founders, Jenna, she obviously has Refi and she also has a brand called Shrine, which is a hair care brand and like working to make them as like sustainable as possible is one of her core like drivers, which is really good to see. It aligns with me a bit more. But I just love e-com in general because I think, I think growing up, you see like these powerhouse brands that kind of have that physical presence and talk to the customer in a certain type of way. And then with the advent of the internet, it was almost like you could find your people, like you didn't have to yeah. go along with what was offered to you. It's like you could find your niche as a person. And mm. like, that's why I think D2C and e-commerce really speaks to me. This is so cheesy as well, right? But I actually did an undergrad in human genetics, mm. which, and I always do this cheesy line when people ask me about it in interviews as well. But human genetics, everything I learned is about like the expression of your genes. So it's from the inside out. But I also like how kind of beauty and fashion helps you express yourself from like the outside. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like what you put on to show who you are. So I think they aligned in the whole kind of science behind yeah, e-com yeah. and the D2C like journey for the customer really spoke to me. So yeah, I just, I love e-commerce. I love being busy. I love fast paced. That's great. I love it to be chaotic. <laughs> So, yeah. You're definitely going to get that in e-commerce. Yes, there's literally a, a stuff change. I think people don't realise, like, and I think it's taken working at quite a few brands as well, that, like, it is this crazy everywhere. It, it, is. it is. And I think I think just going back to what we love about e-com there, I think 
um, the beauty of it, and I, I'm sure you've seen this in many brands, is that you know if you if you have a, a high quality product and there's appetite for it, there's no barriers to entry. I suppose with with retail, you have to get buying from a you know a, yeah. a, you know a buying team. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you have a great quality product, there is no barrier to entry. Yeah, I don't even think it's that as well. I think like you can immediately get feedback. Yeah, I yes. think that's yeah, the yeah. best part about it for me is like. There's an immediate feedback loop. There's an immediate response. And it's like, okay, you know what you're doing is correct. Or like, this is what the customer wants Mm. versus what I think is like the traditional model with in-store. Like, I do think some people do in-store really well. Like, I think Primark, considering that they've never really kind of penetrated the Mm. e-com space, have done very well to keep themselves growing the way they're growing. But I just think that the, the fact that we can move at that pace and like give the customer actually what they want. Yeah. It's, it's just an exciting kind of, an exciting place to be. No, it is a hundred percent. I think, um, like looking back at your journey, and if we're talking e-com in particular here, mm-hmm. I think we can. I'm sure we can both agree that there, to achieve scale, mm-hmm. there needs to be a combination of both brand and performance channels. Definitely. You know, you can, it was all, it's all well and good having performance channels like Google Shopping to acquire customers, mm-hmm. but people aren't going to be interested in the product if you don't have a strong brand, particularly in fashion. Yeah. So, how do you see those two in your experience working together? And yeah, yeah. can one work without the other? I think with the performance channels, you can sell anything, but I think what gives you longevity is brand. Mm. So like, it's all well and good. Like I could be one of those people that finds something that's trending on Google and goes and like buys it and drop ships it to Amazon. I could sell something, but that is like a quick kind of fix. Whereas I actually think brand is what gives longevity and it's all about like why you're doing it. I think especially with Gen Z and the rise of like how conscious they are with every decision that they're making. Yeah. Like they need to align with why you're doing what you're doing. Like it's not enough to just sell something cool anymore in like a yeah. cool way. Like they kind of need that added extra, that reason. And I think brand is that reason. Um, so I think like with performance, like you can do a lot with performance, but if you want to be sticking around for like a hundred years, like you really need to invest in brand hundred percent. No, it's, it's just, I completely agree with you. Um, so if we, if let's focus on Refi then for a mm-hmm. second, if you're, how at Refi or in your personal opinion, do you measure yeah. brand success? Because mm. if we're looking at, you know, us as performance marketers at, at Target, we yeah. will look at, you know, likes of um, reach, impressions, all those yeah. kind of things in terms of like views, video views. But do you, as a brand that's, put, you know, not just e-commerce, but also in retail, how do you measure the impact mm-hmm. of, of brand campaigns? So I think it depends on the objective of the campaign. Like we are still like fresh to the market. Like we're not even two. I think we turned, Mm. no, I think, I know we turned two in November, (laughs) um, which is really exciting. But for us again, it is like, what is the point? So we are a social, even though we're not performance like led technically, Mm. we are social first and influencer first. Like one of our founders is an influencer herself. So we do measure ourselves on like reach, also engagement. Like, obviously, if we're putting out content, we want to know that the audience is enjoying it and engaging with it. But I think one of my favorite things is we try and do feedback a lot with customers or like just try and get feedback groups from like unis or the local area. Like we will actually have a lot of focus groups or people coming in feeding back on product. And one of my favorites is when we have these meetings and we ask people why they've found Refi. Obviously, being influencer led, like she's an amazing founder and like very, very involved and, you know, like one of the smartest people I've met. But it's nice when people come and they go, oh, I saw Refi because of this or like I recognize Refi because of this. And it's not just through her, it's through all these other channels. So for me, like brand, it's got to work across everything. And the fact that people come to us and they're like, oh, I saw this one ad and it was so amazing that like then I saw you in Selfridges and I was like, wow, that is sick. Then that is that's it being successful to me. And like the feedback we actually get, our customers are very responsive as well. Like they message us all the time. Good, bad, ugly, everything. And they message Jess as well. 
Um, so we get like that feedback really firsthand, which I think is why, again, like I love D to C because like the customer will tell you what they want and yeah, what they yeah. think. And also it helps us in the long run, really, yeah. if we listen to them, which we do try and do. Yeah, that's perfect. So if just thinking about your, in, in terms of the, the question, just or the statement yeah. you made then about, you know, it's, it's great when you're able to see a customer that can attribute, they've seen this mm-hmm. campaign or you in this store. Mm-hmm. What What's the answer you get most often when someone, you, a person, a consumer's recognised you and they've bought Refi for a reason? Yeah. Is it a certain campaign or what's the most common answer? It is a mix, but obviously like the kind of backstory of Refi is it was born out of a brow product. Right. Because Jess's brows are like, I don't, well, if you listen and you know of Refi, you'll know of Jess's brows, but they're kind of like a big part of who she is I suppose um so I think it kind of got born out of that and then I don't know it's really hard to pinpoint really Mm. but I like love it when people I just love it when people come from different angles and their own stories yeah like I think one of the good ones is I I love it when mums come yeah yeah and say that they've seen it or like that they've the daughter had like these amazing brows and then she's like sent them over so her and her friends have like gone to Selfridges and bought it and stuff like that that knock-on effect of yeah it's that the daughter's seen it that mum's buying it or vice versa I think ultimately like for us being influencer-led and influencers are a big part like we do find a lot of people will come through influencer and a lot of people come through social both paid and organic I think that's the way that it is influencer whether it's jess or not jess but i think ultimately influencer is just like the modern version of word of mouth right yeah so ultimately like that's someone saying like this is an amazing product yeah, you should try. check it out yeah. yeah so you check it out so it, the fact that we also get that like old school kind of word of mouth through people's yeah, friends yeah. and stuff is really cool as well but yeah it comes a lot through influencer it comes a lot through social and i think because we're so brand first everything we do is like really nailed down like the guidelines are really specific so I think if you see something and you've seen us before, maybe on a paid ad, I think you it is we're finding that it's like makes us more recognizable in the yeah. long term. Like we've not done any detailed like brand studies, but it's something that's on the cards just to see if like that recognition is there. But we do get people going like oh, that's very refined, like yeah, almost yeah. like using it as a sentence. Yeah, so. it's now an adjective. Yeah, yeah. it's like that's very refined. I'm yeah. like, okay. So but, refined of you. Oh my god, how refined. <laughs> <laughs> love it love it so just coming back so we sort of covered very briefly brandon we'll dig a little bit deeper shortly mm-hmm. into tiktok and influence because oh, that's yes. a huge part of your strategy yes. but just thinking about performance for a second so mm-hmm. if we're looking at performance marketing paid search paid social mm-hmm. i know you mentioned you do a little bit there for paid social yeah um what does good look like for in terms of the metrics you use to measure the mm-hmm. success of paid media um and paid social and paid search what do you consider good or what are the metrics you pay close attention to mm-hmm. like do refi are you looking to control the cost of your sort of CPAs and then scaling the budget based on that and acquiring mm. new, as many new customers as possible? Or is it more of a margin-driven business where, you know, ROAS is really important or is yeah. it a combination of the two? It is It is quite a combination of the two, really. We've been really ROAS-focused yeah. over the last two years because obviously we're like still young. So we've been working on really like tight budgets. Yeah. Um, but as we've grown, like we've made a lot of money and we invest everything like back in the business Great. really. So the budgets have obviously expanded as we have. So we're kind of looking at a, a, like a cost per acquisition really of new. And then we're trying to weigh up between new and returning at the moment. Yeah. So our financial year is a bit like weird. So it finished in August. So we've just started a new one. So okay, we're week sure. two this week. Yeah. So it's like, we're just kind of putting all the final touches on how we're going to measure that. But I think the minute the easiest thing for us is almost a cost of sale yeah. is what we're going for with the budgets. Because in new territories as well, like we kind of need to sacrifice like that it's actually going to cost us a lot more to penetrate that, especially somewhere yeah. like the US, it's massive. Yeah. So we kind of know that that's what we're going to have to work to. But beautifully, like obviously wholesale go hand in hand with what we do D to C and 
when we do stuff on our like paid channels and performance channels, they do actually push to to those retailers as well. So we do see it affect like both sides, which is nice. Yeah, hundred percent. And then I suppose looking at so you've you've got this real combination, haven't you? Yeah. Of organic, paid. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm sure there'll be a bit of email in there as well. Yeah. But I'd love now for us to focus on influence marketing yes. and how to refi do and measure t- um, influence marketing. So this is a really interesting one because you'll be surprised, but we have never done anything but gift so far. Really? Okay, so you haven't paid any influencers. No You've been one, gi- no. That so, is inc- in today's market, yeah, that is incredible. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a combination of two things. So one is obviously that we are influencer-led. So I think people want to try mm. the brand because of that. And obviously like... Jess, our founder, has a lot of friends within the industry that like okay. really want to support her, which is obviously lovely for us. And then I think the innovation in the product, yeah. because obviously what we like, like one, the big parts of our brand are we want to simplify beauty. Mm. We want to make it so like you don't need to carry all this stuff around. Like that's why if you've ever seen our brow sculpt, which is our hero mm. product, it's got the gel in one side, it's got like two combs in the other so you can do the full process and get wow. the signature um brow but we've we've never really had to pay for anything but that is where now we're getting into year two so obviously we want to like level up what we're doing yeah, of course. and as well with like the advent of tiktok and everything like messaging is so important especially when a product has got so many like different features to it or different uses and i think in the beauty space like the ingredients that you can call out like how long it lasts and just all these different factors you've really got to take on board which is a big spin on fashion as well because obviously clothes you just style it a certain way whereas beauty there's so many layers to it so we're actually at the moment of putting like all these things in process which is really nice because we can talk about kind of like what we're putting in place from what we've kind of all learnt over the past few years so it's really interesting like I think with us as well we are looking to kind of split across like the objective for each campaign again so if there's reach we're going to do it based on the amount of views Mm. and impressions that you can get and we'll work it off that but then we want to try and get to a point where we can identify who a reach driver is and who a like revenue driver is and then really work off that model. Like I think there's a lot of room for kind of the affiliate commission model with influencers, especially now everyone's getting really savvy to it. TikTok have actually just introduced their own affiliate platform Mm. as well. So creators linking in the TikTok shop can get paid commission just by linking in the TikTok shop. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, and so it is a no-brainer. So we're weaving that into it as well. And then just like we try and monitor everything like the best way possible, obviously with gifting, there's only so much that you can do. So we just monitor product cost and we look at like how many posts we get back for what we put out, make sure that it's on par with the budget. And then for those two, we're kind of looking at those different angles really and then identifying them as we go. And I see retainers being a big part of what we do as well. Like especially with these creators that are smaller, I think influencer itself has kind of evolved over the years where like you don't necessarily especially with the advent of tiktok you don't need that huge mega influencer always pushing the brand because those creators that are like hundred thousand followers or lower are actually the more engaged more authentic kind of credible versions of this word of mouth so working with those people to identify who works with the brand well and the audience that kind of like vibe with us off what they're doing and then kind of putting a bit of a retainer model in place so that's how we're looking at it at the minute. And then, yeah, the performance will depend on what the campaign objective is, really. It's really interesting to get an insight as to, you know, obviously as an agency, we work with many different brands and, um, and a, few, a few in Manchester. But it's really good to understand how a brand of, you know, is in full scale-up mode as mm. Refi are, manage their influence, influence yeah. program. Um, and also, I guess, in the, so for having not having paid any, any yeah, influence to mad. do that. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking as you're talking because... Your industry in particular must be rife with influence marketing. Yeah. So it must be so competitive. But, Very competitive. Um, 
you are kind of answer my next question there. So in terms of how you're going to measure, how you yeah. measure the impact of influencer, yeah. is it revenue via affiliate links? Yeah. And, and what, is there any other sort of tools or tactics you use there to measure So it? we are doing revenue via affiliate links. And then obviously we're just going to use trackable links because we're not a discount brand yeah. either. So we're not going to offer like codes or anything like that things, with yeah. an influencer. Um, and then for us, like, I think one key thing is kind of, I suppose, reach, which sounds crazy, but it's like, again, we're kind of brand focused. So yeah. the more eyes that we can get on the brand, the better. So if we are working with an influencer and like, for example, TikTok, again, if their video views are like 11 million views a week, mm. then like that for me at the minute, while we're trying to acquire in these new customers and introduce ourselves to these new customers is probably as valuable as someone who's a revenue driver. For because sure. you can't get to that revenue driving point without getting the awareness piece at the top of the funnel. So yeah, like obviously like there's the affiliate partnership kind of vibe. And then TikTok make it, again, I can't mention TikTok. They make it quite easy because you can measure in TikTok shop the performance as mm. well. So if a creator tags a product, you can measure it then and there. Yeah. So you can see their performance. Great. Whereas Instagram's a bit still up in the air because you can only kind of link from stories and all these different bits and pieces really. But obviously now everyone can link, which means that everyone can have a track link, which yeah. means everyone's kind of like into seeing how much they can drive, which is exciting. It's great to see you're doing so much in, because in, I keep forgetting it's two, you know, the brand just turned two. Two, yeah. So and I, and I guess that's the beauty, actually the beauty of it, mm. because you're trying as much as possible and gathering as much data, and mm -hmm. then you can use that to, you know, test, measure, learn, and improve for yeah. year two and double down on what's working and what's not. Yeah. So it's really interesting, but you did mention TikTok there a yeah. few times. So a few I, times. I was just interested to know how the brand, aside from influencers, uses TikTok effectively. Yeah. Is it paid or an organic? Um, are, you, are you creating content? Yeah. It'd be lovely to so it's a mix. Like we actually create most of our content in house and insanely on an iPhone. So a it, lot of the amazing wow. shots you see okay. is like purely done on an iPhone. Is that yourself? No, it's not me. God, no, they won't let me near the iPhone, to be honest with you. Like, this is really embarrassing because I'm only 31, but I'm like nearly the oldest person in the office. Like everyone I'm, is. Well, I'm 31 too, so we yeah. actually share that. But I feel like I used to be in an office where I'm like, yeah, everyone's a similar age and now everyone's yeah. 22 and they can do all these magical things with the first. I'm like, no, it's actually I did. scary. It is scary. <laughs> but um, yeah, TikTok, we create all of our own content like in-house. We do work with content creators as well for specific stuff, like obviously trends. And like makeup hacks, like there's only so many times you can see our social assistant doing yeah. a makeup hack. Yeah. Um, even though she absolutely loves it. Yeah. Which is always good. <laughs> um, and then we do work with creators and then obviously like, so influencers and then creators. I think there's there's people that have got the reach and the power, obviously. And then there's people that like just make amazing content yeah. and love making content. Yeah, just super creative yeah, people. So yeah, so we just work with them in a different way. And then the paid side of it's been really interesting because like, I think Instagram and pinterest and even youtube to a degree i've always been for a brand like refi or in the fashion space it's always about like kind of being beautifully shot beautifully edited yeah, yeah. beautifully put together and then tiktok is very raw and authentic yeah so it's been kind of transitioning our like brand into that space without losing brand yeah but doing it in a way that works for the user because yeah. like ultimately we can go and put the same content that we do on Instagram on TikTok, but it's not going to perform because the user uses TikTok for a completely different reason. Yeah. And we want the ad to be as native as possible. Sure. Um, and then one thing they do really well, again, that I don't think anyone else does as well, is you can push creator content as an ad without it existing within your platform. Wow. 
So like um, spark ads are just for anyone who's ever wondering if they could spend the £20 budget a day on something, spend it on TikTok if you can. There you go. Because of the hyper-targeting as well. Like honestly, I could go on for hours. The fact that you can target on hashtags is absolutely... It's incredible. It's incredible. So handy. Yeah. um, Yeah, spark ads are really good because that creator as well off the back of the spark ads. So we put the budget behind it, push it out. It's that authentic review. And then they actually get the views and the engagement on their own page. So it helps them grow which is really nice because... So everyone wins. Yeah, everyone wins. Whereas Instagram's kind of paid stuff sits outside of the platform in a way. So the the creator doesn't necessarily get a reward that isn't monetary, do you know Mm, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. For all their hard work. Whereas now like you can get the monetary side of it, obviously, because you pay content creators for yeah. content but then they also get the views and the reach and so, the communities they're building yeah. their own communities as well and I think yeah. as well it almost gives a bit of like more of a two way dynamic to it because as a creator I'm like oh this brand really wants to work with me and I want to work and it's it's almost like a bit more authentic again yeah. authentic 100% really. which is what TikTok's all about yeah, yeah. And the, I think yeah just coming back to the, the, the sort of the targeting on TikTok for me that the advertising platform is, le- I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's light years ahead of Facebook not. and Instagram. It's not. For, for such a, you know, look at Meta, the yeah. size and scale of yeah. it, and the fact it's been around for so long. I just feel like the, other than the inter- the interface changes and ads manager, but mm. the actual capability, they're actually taking capabilities away. So like you can actually target, the targeting's worse on Facebook and yeah. Instagram than it was before. Yeah. And it's- TikTok just seems to be, like you say, the fact you can target on hashtags, mm. is, you know, opens up a whole new realm of uh, user. I think like with the advent of iOS 14.5 that day, that fateful day, oh, iOS yeah. 14.5. My heart just sank. I know. Yeah, yeah. But um, TikTok have also managed to put a conversion sandbox in place, which means that they can actually track what yeah. Facebook can't. So yeah. their actual tracking it's is better. better. <laughs> yeah. So also you can see the results. Yeah. Because now we're in this like mysterious place where you have to go between what they're saying in Ads Manager and then what you see in last click in Google. Yeah. yeah. Which it just does not make any sense. Yeah, that's an issue. Almost every client we have yeah. an issue is Facebook overinflates the metrics in 100%. platform. Last click is seeing something completely different. So a lot of clients are having to move to like a server side tracking model. Yeah. Where again it's just an additional cost which can be tens of thousands of pounds so yeah. with tiktok you just yeah it's for me and the fact that cpms are so much cheaper yeah it's just a no-brainer for disney yeah. conference and it like literally all it needs to be is someone with like five minutes and a phone to yeah make that ad. It's exactly insane. that you don't have all this expensive production cost it's yeah. incredible so it ultimately ends up being better but i think the sad i don't think instagram will ever lose footing against tiktok i think it's lost its way a bit I think it'll find its way back. It yeah. did. No one wanted to use stories when they yeah, first yeah. came out. And yeah. Now, now I see that's arguably argue more popular than the actual feed post in the feed. Yeah. But um, I think what they wanted to do was keep everyone on the app as long as possible. And I think the way they've done it is not as streamlined as maybe TikTok are doing it because they're doing it without us even realising. Yeah. And it's, it's scary, isn't it? It's yeah. Like, but what, what, a, what a channel though. So, it's so, really it's, good. It's I love really... TikTok. So just coming back to your audience then, so Refai, because mm-hmm. we've talked, I know your influencer and TikTok are such a big, big part of your strategy. Mm-hmm. What's Refai's audience? Is it, does it skew slightly younger or? Um, surprisingly, it's maybe slightly older than you'd think. Yeah. Our like, core audience, I'd say, is that like 18 to 25. But then we do find from the 25 to 35s, we actually get a really decent okay. like return i suppose because again like i suppose people in that slightly higher age group the millennial age group let's call them um they've actually got a bit more buying power even though gen z is catching up and then we do find that gen z are in the mix as well but we kind of go after like the mid-20s girl guy whoever likes makeup that's kind of like into the 
kind of aesthetic vibe that we've got going on, but we don't want to like limit our audience with that. So it's kind of like, that's the lifestyle that we put out there, but also we're going to speak to the different audiences about what it is they want. Like, especially with Gen Z, like sustainability call outs work really well. Like obviously being a vegan brand works really well, but then obviously like, then you've got certain millennials that just want to see like, you know, the gorgeous final finish and then like like that. Because I do find that it's really interesting the buying differences between everybody. Like, and even me and the girls in the office when we chat, the way I buy stuff is completely different to the way that they buy stuff. It's absolutely crazy. But that's also nice too, because I suppose we've got a varying different audiences in the office so we can always kind of like test and learn on how actual people shop. Could you expand on that actually in terms of, I'd love to know Mm. how you dip in terms of how you buy from yeah. how the younger audience in your office buy what's the what's the route to them buying a product how does it differ to you so i feel like i am very much like i used to say i wasn't influenced but a hundred percent i am influenced like i'm so easily influenced by marketing i don't know whether that's because i actually work in marketing I'm a marketer's that, yeah, dream, yeah. but i'm really influenced by marketing so but i'm like old school like i would rather pay full price and get free delivery. Yeah. Like if it's not free delivery, I'm like not buying it. Yeah. Like I don't really care. I'll find somewhere else to buy it. Um, so I'm like really based, I find myself really based on those like promotional triggers. Yeah. Um, but again, I think it's just because I come to, through that period of the internet where like it was mm. really promotionally heavy. Whereas I do find a lot of people in the office base it on like almost reviews. So wow. they kind of like not a lot of people use reviews like in detail to like find out if a product's going to work for them because they're so used to shopping online versus in real life. Like yeah, the idea yeah. of going to a store and looking at a product's not the same. So that's yeah, how yeah. they find it. And then I also find that they'll like not jump on a trend as such, but they are hyper aware of stuff as it starts to trend and they're really willing to just give it a try. Really? Okay. Yeah. Whereas I'm always so cautious. Like I'm really influenced, but it takes like more I find for me to convert and some are like the girls that are my age in the office and even the guys when we chat like i do find that i'm a bit more like wary and then i'll take a bit longer but if they see someone cool that they've loved following say it's good they're like yeah i'm gonna give it a try it's really it's, it's actually not worrying but it's, it's incredibly i suppose exciting actually to see mm. how much how people's buying behaviors have changed in 10 years it's mm. probably 10 years yeah it's crazy isn't it it's crazy so yeah if we're looking at so we've just talked roughly about your sort of channel mix there mm. is there anything we've missed so you use tiktok influencers yeah. shopping yeah so we've got search shopping obviously paid social organic social we've started to dip our toes in the affiliate space as well sure again not a discounting brand so doing that through like content partnerships and things like that um and obviously like working with the affiliate platforms that are influencer led like like I think they call themselves like to know it now, mm. LTK. Yeah. But they were reward style back in the day. <laughs> um, just exploring that. And then, yeah, just trying to diversify as much as possible, really. But And then press and PR does come into the mix really for us. But I think it's more of like, we do find as well, like people do read pieces to find out more about a beauty product. Mm. Obviously, for me, it's very different from fashion, I would find. Yeah. Um, so yeah, do you find that that's actually a really good driver? But I think press and affiliates go more hand in hand these days than people are aware. So no, hundred percent. Yeah. I think just going back to press as well. There's obviously we won't go too much into the depths of SEO, but obviously driving backlinks from press as well yeah. is super important. Really so I good. can see how that works, especially because we've got a really small product range and our website doesn't have that many pages as well. Yeah. So we rank obviously for our terms, but we're now like starting to look into a content strategy to kind of yeah. build out our SEO in a way that feels refined because simplicity yeah. is a really big value for us as well. So we don't want to overcomplicate stuff that mm. doesn't need to be overcomplicated. But also we are very aware that we our footprint on the internet is much smaller when yeah. you actually get into the realm of like 
Google's like actual organic search. 100%. There's also a lot to be said. So there's, I, don't, I, won't get, I don't want to get too much into SEO, <laughs> but um, recently the helpful content update from Google as well. So mm. there's a lot to be said in terms of only putting high quality content yeah. out there now that is going to be useful to the user. Yeah. Um, because you see, there are some brands, and Adidas is an example where they've actually. You look at some of their product pages. I used this as an example in another podcast of the other day, actually, where there's paragraphs and paragraphs of content and tons and tons of links on this product page, mm-hmm. and it's essentially just there to benefit the, the sorry the search engines for yeah. rankings. You know, it doesn't actually improve the user experience. So yeah. yeah, a lot a lot to be said in that in that space for sure. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how you're splitting your budget across those channels, then yeah. do you mind me asking where do you spend most of your budget? Is it in Google Shopping? Oh, or, interesting. You know, how do, do you, you know split what? It? It's like a quite a healthy mix, I'd say, performance wise between search and paid social. Yeah. I think because we're a social first like brand, yeah. paid social is kind of our bread and butter. And I also think with the product it does very well for mm. us because we can use the vid- like video content is massive for us because obviously you can go in depth with the product and you can like capture someone's attention for us being a new brand as well we see search is like mo- it's brand heavy yeah obviously like yeah. people search and refine like they come through branded search and i know there's a credibility reason to have branded search on as well and we might be testing turning it off and seeing how that goes but for us we generics we're working to build out now Mm. and then obviously like in the us specifically like we compete with really big retailers that we're stocked in that have much much bigger budgets so it's like trying to weigh up not like spending all that money on something that isn't actually going to win compared to them makes Um, sense so it it really depends like on the territory and also like the kind of strategy piece and performance wise and then before obviously we've not really spent too much on the branded side really like obviously we've got a kind of creative budget for our shoots and stuff like that but this year we're like turning on that paid creator piece yeah. um to see how that goes so it's all come as a big like depending on the territory the cost of sale and we've split it out that way so that's why we've got to marry up all those performance influences with the branded to make sure <laughs> it's a big task but it's, um, Do you know what i like to be challenged it's really, <laughs> you're in the perfect industry for it so um i suppose my, ne- my next sort of question really was um in terms of the industry you're in it is very very competitive as we touched yeah. on before and there must also be some challenges there where you're having to compete as, you know, it's a brand that is only two, but making huge waves in the industry. Mm-hmm. How do you compete with these massive brands with massive budgets? And you also have the added challenge of in the search and paid social space, yeah. you must be competing with actually some of your stockists who are, who are huge. Yeah. If we look at Sephora, for yeah. instance, who are, you know, a massive brand in the States, huge, huge budgets. How do you compete with them? So it's really interesting, to be fair, in the search space, I'd say the competition's like the hardest yeah. because they're always going to outbid us because mm. they've got that money there. Yeah. Um, we actually have a really good partnership with Sephora, so they don't tend to try and do that often. Well, I mean, obviously it does happen sometimes, especially when they can see the revenue coming in, they're going to continue to bid on us. Um, but we kind of try, I think specifically with search, we're like looking into like more long tail ways around yeah. it. Or even just like putting the Sephora messaging in what we do. Yeah. Because ultimately, like if they go to Sephora and purchase Refi, it still works for us in a way. But then trying to measure how that impact, like having that ad with that Sephora messaging mm. has impacted the Sephora sale is not as clear cut because we yeah. can't get access to their data. They're very good at sharing data with us in fairness to them of all retailers we've ever worked with. But yeah, it's a bit of a tricky one, really. In the paid social space, I think ultimately we... This is an interesting one as well because the US creative approach to the US is different. 
Jess, our founder here, she's kind of what the the original hook was because people knew of Jess and they also were so interested in like her makeup routine that like there was that initial hook mm-hmm. here on like when we launched that product. Yeah. But then with the US, like she's not as widely known yeah. as she is here. So we have entered that market as if we are like a brand new brand. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Like course. it's absolutely great to have her there, especially because she can talk on camera and like she can actually convey what the brand is about in yeah. like a really good way. But um, yeah, we've had to enter as if we're just like a brand new brand. So it's 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 a very different space. But I think one thing that works for us in the US in the paid space, especially with social, is our um, creative. Like it's very like different in the States. It's very like, I don't know if you've ever been on Facebook ads library and actually looked up some people in the States. It's like so much messaging at once, especially with Sephora. Yeah. It's very Sephora. And it's like yeah. the way they're going as well is it's all multi-branded and like right. so they cover the breadth of it, whereas we almost sell a lifestyle yeah, with what yeah. we do. So the, the audience is kind of captured by that creative, that messaging where they're like, oh my God, that is cool. And then yeah. we hit them with the like, well, this is how you achieve that. Yeah, in a way. yeah. So Rather than quite, the really commercial messaging straight up yeah. front. Yeah. So we kind of go for the, we go for brand versus commercial, which at the minute is like obviously not a struggle but we are starting out small and like sometimes as a marketer you really want to like give in and just like yeah. <laughs> put the performance messaging on there but we're very like again we're like really brand led and we know down the line like being that true to the brand will pay off and i think like you said isn't it you as you quite rightly mentioned at the start I mean, it's, it's all about longevity yes so exactly that okay so we talked a lot about sort of acquiring customers here mm. what do refi do in terms of retention does email play a part in that yeah email plays a part so i love email marketing i think email marketing is underrated I yeah think it flies under the radar but it's actually so good and weirdly i think it's one of those channels where people expected it to like peter off yes and it never has it like never has. It's always been a good channel to use. It's still a good channel to use. So I love email marketing. It's a big part of what we do. And then we've been kind of building it up as we go. Mm. Um, so we've been putting flows in place for the past few years to try and like automate as much as we can, yeah. like welcome flows and abandoned baskets, making sure we've got all that messaging and then keeping the campaign emails like really segmented and streamlined and like communicating more of a story than I think like we don't want it to just be like here's a sales email it's like there's with the we want to weave the whole brand story into it but also it is like it is a well everyone's very reactive on email I find as well I don't know how you find with your yeah no 100% it's um it's actually the well it's the highest ROI channel of all channels um and I think there's just in terms of as you've mentioned there's so much opportunity for automation yeah but also personalization yeah it's insane so not just a you know dear charlotte at the top of the email yeah. but also you can send them the, you know the products they've been mm-hmm. looking at pulling them back into the sales yeah. flow. if you know they've bought you know they buy a certain yeah. you know they need with makeup in particular mm-hmm. i'm sure if you know a you person's likely to go through that you know they need to replenish their makeup yeah in every three months yeah or so month. like hitting them up being like your brow sculpt's gonna if, run and out. it feels so personal as well yeah. because you know you, ha- you know what products they like yeah. and you can really tailor that message no so. definitely and i think as well there's just like so much room to explore that in other touch points like mm. so obviously emails are huge part but like some brands are doing subscriptions so well in the Mm, space like i think one of our favorites to like look at and talk about just because the razors are so nice but estrid razors it's like a women well it's an everybody shaving brand really obviously um but like their kind of subscriptions are just so they always pop up i was like fully sold i was like absolutely sold (laughs) you are a marketer's dream (laughs) dream. and um yeah their subscription model is really good and i know there's a lot of people exploring that in a really interesting Mm. way so and then i just think like bringing the 
the loyal customers into the brand through that channel as well because you can personalize it so much it's like all right well what are we offering those vip customers what are we offering those people that do come back every three months to purchase and building it out there like our customer loves to feel like they're part of the brand and like right. part of the whole journey yeah. there's something we're doing as a big piece over the next year is really bringing the customer into the forefront of everything we do giving them like more of that behind the scenes more of like all of it from start to finish like obviously the amazing branding at the end but like how did we get from a to b especially with the products and then it's like i think email and that piece is really interesting way to do it and maybe bring in like a loyalty piece and you know i mean there's just so much you can do but i think for us like new customers is key because we want to grow but then we also don't want to forget the people that are like those hardcore or five shoppers all the way through but I think email's a great channel for like nurturing that customer, especially 100%. as they grow up. I think beauty's a really interesting yeah. place where like with fashion, I've found now like brands need to grow up with their customer yeah. a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. with beauty, it's almost like as that customer goes from being like the 22 year olds in my team yeah. to like myself, the needs of my makeup 100%. are completely different. So even just capturing someone's like birthday, you can like know what age they are. And then maybe you're pushing that like, For example, we've got like a skin finish powder. It's actually amazing. And then like, I'm very conscious of pores and fine lines. And it's like that messaging for me, that's got me hooked. But from someone who's 22, it might be that final finish, not their radar. So it's like also tailoring the message as you get older is much more effective on email. So I think that means as we're only two, we've not obviously grown enough to to get that detailed, but that is where I hope to But I've no doubt that will be the case soon. Yeah. Sure, it's been incredibly interesting, talk, interesting talking to you here. Um, and I certainly can't wait to keep my eye on uh, Refine and see what happens. <laughs> to finish off the conversation, we have a new segment. It's peak performance quick fire questions okay. about yourself. Lovely. Um, and then you may not have an answer for every single one, so that's totally fine. <laughs> so there's five questions. The first one is, what is your favourite book and why? Oh, my God. Do you know what? I'm really old school, so I actually love Pride and Prejudice. Oh, nice. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. the whole story of it. Like... I read the book before I watched the show as well. Um, Even though I do love Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy, who doesn't? But I do love that book. And then recently I've been reading Humankind by Mm. Rutger Bergman. I think that's how you say his name. He's like a Dutch, um, does he work in economics? I'm not sure, but it's basically about like how we're all wrong about the human nature. We think human nature is like inherently evil, but actually it's kind. And it's like proving that. And it's really good. He also wrote a book called Utopia for Realists, which... I've not read yet, but my brother's a big fan. Okay. So it's next on my list. But if you want like an uplifting, everything's going to be all right. Humankind yeah. is great. That is a good book as well. That's a really interesting answer there because you've got um, a fiction and fiction and non-fiction yeah. piece of writing. I feel like as a marketer, you need that element of sort of storytelling because yeah. that's part of your job. And also the person, there seems to be a theme with, with marketers on the show as well. Some personal development in there as well. Yeah, I just love it. Perfect. Number two, do you have a morning routine? Oh, you know what? I it's it's really basic my yeah. morning routine I wish it was really good I was thinking about over here like if you ask me something like this what I'm gonna say I'd get up and go to the gym every day but <laughs> I actually wake up at about seven every day I yeah. wish it was earlier and I get up and I get ready for work and then I get in my car and I put on a podcast usually about marketing and I drive into work and I get to work for a really unhinged early time at like 10 past eight even though we don't start <laughs> till nine yeah just because I like the quiet first thing in the morning you get stuff done I get stuff done I make a coffee I'm weird about my cup, so I only drink it out of my keep cup. Really? Literally, don't know why, but <laughs> I keep drinking out of my keep cup and I'm always there, put my headphones on and I just blast through emails first thing. Like it. Yeah. Like it. Question three, mm-hmm. knowing what you know now, 
Mm. What would be the one piece of advice you give you give to your eighteen year old self? Oh my god, I feel like I would say to my eighteen year old self, just walk through the door like you own it. Yes, because yes. ultimately, like you should trust yourself. Really, hundred like, percent. I actually do think I should have trusted myself a bit more with like just. It, at 18 you like don't necessarily Pretty like green aren't you I yeah suppose, but like, it's yeah. not even that you like worry about yeah. people thinking that you're taking it too far or taking it a step too far and especially in the e-com industry especially if you're in a founder-led brand people love it if you speak up people love it if you say what you think especially if you can come with receipts or back it up with any sort of yeah. theory or even just want to try it and they go you know what like give it a go because yeah. a lot of these people are very entrepreneurial as well and they appreciate someone just coming with something new with a new idea yeah I just be like walking like you own Place, have basically. a crack yeah have a go I love that I love that is the, <laughs> one of the greatest answers I've had so number four we're getting to the end here now do you have an app on your phone that makes your life easier <gasps> oh a lot I'll give you a bit of context here yeah a lot of the last two people that have answered this question have mm. said their calendar they just have to be organised and they yeah. can't live without the calendar yeah well I was going to say calendar but it's actually uh, me and my partner have a shared calendar ooh right so like do you ever you I don't know everyone must be like this now it's post pandemic but like life has kind of gone back to normal yes. so knowing what is on everyone's agenda because we were finding that like I was like booking in something with this parent or one of us was going to be here but we needed yeah. to be there so now we have like a joint one um, it's not even in the car it's like a separate one it's called time tree or something yeah yeah because I was like how does someone keep track of this and now we religiously update we've got our own colours. If we're doing something together, it's like purple. Mine's green if it's just me. <laughs> His is like orange if it's just him. And it's so incredible. good because it's like, obviously with my job as well, I'm like in and out and here and there. And he works in the NHS. Yeah, so it's I just agree. like, he doesn't always, like if I have to change something up, I just literally put in the calendar and he sees that it's changed. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, so good. Perfect. But yeah, that's mainly just for us because I feel like otherwise we'd lose our minds forgetting where we're I going. Feel, I feel like it's second nature as being a marketer or maybe yeah. in business that you mm. have to be organised and yeah. plan your day. Otherwise, yeah, the day, the day yeah. ends up running you, I find. Yeah. So that's incredible, but uh, very useful. Yes. And then finally, who or what inspires you? Ooh, do you know what? This is like really left field, but my dad, I'm actually going to throw him no, out that's there. Good. Because like, it's not like a rags to riches story, but my dad worked very hard to get where he is. Um, and I just feel like he is the type of person, he just always was like, you can do whatever you want, mm. like you literally can. And he yeah. embodies that. And like, he never said no to anything. Like when I was 10, he was like, we're moving to the US because I'm going to go and do this at this aerospace company. And it's like, he moved around and got that experience and like watching him navigate that, I think for me was like really inspiring, yeah. especially now like he's 56 and like him and my mum just moved to the Isle of Man because he got a new job and he was like, no, nah, I'm going in it full force. Like he's just like- Fully committed, it, yeah. Like, fully committed, but they're like, just kind of go with it. And I think him and my mum together as well, I'm really lucky Like my parents have been together the whole time. Um, and just the way that they work together is very inspiring as well. Like yeah. I think it helps like seeing, not even just like from a relationship point of view and a personal point of view, but seeing that dynamic and seeing how they treat other people and mm. like work together. It's, I think helps build a team. Like yeah, watching the way that they've worked together over the years to navigate me and my brother, because we are hexic people when yeah. we were growing up. <laughs> Like, I, can, I think I that's really good. Because now I work with a load of hectic 22-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. so I feel like they See literally that. call me their momager as well. So really? embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've never heard that Chris before. Chris Jenner vibes. Yeah, I'm taking that. That's fantastic. <laughs> Charles, that's all of the questions I've got for you. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been it incredibly is. interesting to learn all about yourself and refi. 
Um, if anyone wants to follow your journey or, you know, can they reach out to you on social or can they follow what you're up to on social media? Do you yeah, have LinkedIn? Yeah, you can. I have LinkedIn. It's um, just Charles Gagan. Perfect. So obviously it's really hard to spell. I'm sure that they will link it. I will tag podcast you. podcast notes, tag me. My Instagram's the same, but I actually do have a marketing one. It's not very populated, but I'll share that with you as well. Lovely. Okay, we'll put it in the comments. <laughs> Amazing. Charles, thanks for your time. Thanks so much. Sound good? All good? Nice Perfect. one. Sorted.